You stand on the shore of the ocean watching the tide come in. You sense the call of the sea beckoning to take you in further. You step forward little by little not knowing what to expect, but expecting more. You keep going as the ocean calls calls you to enter in to deeper waters. conflict that was lost sight of and it didn't go on. My guest today, I tried to have her back on the show in December last year. I came down with the worst case of flu I have ever had been. Fortunately, this time it looks like we've avoided all the difficulties and we have that show going on now. And my guest is Cynthia Hampton, who is an ex-Jehovah's Witness herself. And I say she was a tremendous help for me when I was recovering from the flu. Because I, so I came to a show, I got the flu, Matt got us really forming a good friendship. She's been a good friend to my wife. And she still owes me a recipe on salmon, I think. Now, here's a, a little bit about her. She attended Pima Community College. I hope I did get pronounced that right. In Arizona, received an AA in accounting. She also attended the University of Arizona, but did not graduate. So, long story, though, one I'm sure I understand. I've had that happen a few times. And she actually graduated from the University of Phoenix with a BS in accounting in 2011. Currently, she's a treasurer at our church. I mean, she, while she never studied formally, she has done a lot of self-teaching, and I say I think she's done a good job of it after leaving the Jehovah's Witnesses, and her first exposure to a project was listening to Walter Martin every day on the radio and sending for materials written at CRI. So, uh, Cynthia, welcome to the Deeper Waters podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really pleased to be here. Now, also, didn't you speak at the Women in Apologetics conference? Yes, I did. Yes, I was honored to speak on that conference last year. Mm-hmm. Now, we've had some women come on to, who were in that conference, such as Sarah Ankenman and a few others, but can you tell us some about what that conference is? Well, it was it was uh, just uh, uh, an apologetics conference that was uh, all women speakers, and uh, they spoke on a, a variety of uh, different topics, and they asked me to speak on Jehovah's Witnesses, and uh, some of them spoke on uh, like abortion and other you know relevant topics for mm-hmm. our time that, you know, come into the apologetics uh, arena, uh, the topic of evil, things like that. So yeah. it was it was a really good conference. Yeah, and I'd like people to know this is a women equipping women conference, and if some of you out there are women and this and think, jeez, attend a conference, you know how busy I am. I'm taking care of the house. I'm doing things with my husband, the kids. I'm raising the kids. I can't leave my house for a day or two and go to a conference. Well, here's the good news. You never have to leave your house to go to this conference. You can watch it online and tell it. In fact, that's exactly what my wife did, and she got to interact with Cynthia and several of the other women who were speaking there. 
So, look, if you can just keep your computer open around that house, you can attend this conference. And really, women deserve to be taught apologetics as well, and they need apologetics too. This shouldn't just be a man's domain. And it's been a man's domain for a long time, but I'm glad to see a lot of women participating now. Mm-hmm. Now, Cynthia, usually I try and get a personal story of how people came to be where they are, but for me, that's, it's pretty brief. Yours, I'm guessing, probably isn't that way. That's going to be a lot of part of what we were talking about. Since, were you raised in a Christian home? No, I was not raised in a Christian home. Well, I was raised part of my life as um, a Roman Catholic, mm-hmm. and we're, we were really kind of nominal Catholics. My mother went to church on Sundays, and that's pretty much all we did. We kind of went through the motions. I remember making my first communion when I was seven. I was baptized as a baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, then my mother came in contact with Jehovah's Witnesses when we were all kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that she studied with Jehovah's Witnesses around the time maybe I was around four or five years old because I remember finding um, the Watchtower uh, books around the house. Mm-hmm. And uh, But she didn't go through with it and become a Jehovah's Witness at that time uh, until uh, later on when I was probably around, after my 13th birthday, she started studying with uh, a friend who became a Jehovah's Witness. She had left the Catholic Church. She had gone to the same church that our family went to, and uh, she had become disgusted with something. And um, instead of looking for for Jesus, or instead of, you know, checking out any other churches, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses came to her door, and she um, studied with them and became a Jehovah's Witness, and then she recruited my mother. So uh, at that time, around 1970, (laughs) I'm dating myself, Mm -hmm. uh, that was the time my mother started studying, and that was about the time um, the Watchtower was um, preaching about 1975 being the end of the world or the end of this system of things as they call it right and uh, that was probably their largest growth in history because mm-hmm. uh, they were uh, coming up with this you know with uh, all these numbers and you know bringing you know showing how they came up with 1975 and people fell for it and um, I think also at that time in, in the 70s and late 80s you know there was a lot of chaos in the mm-hmm. world. Um, late 60s, you saw, you know, things like, you know, the, um, the assassination of um, Robert Kennedy. You saw the assassination of Martin Luther King. Uh, you know, the um, the outgrowth of all the hippies and um, sexual immorality really yeah. you know, coming forth. So I think a lot of people uh, who came into the witnesses around this time is just like, well, what is this world coming to? And they thought, well, you know, it must be the end, and maybe, you know, the witnesses are right. So when the witnesses came to people's door with, you know, look at the condition of the world, look at all these things that are happening, and and so, you know, people uh, listened to that. And then when they came up with the thing of 1975 and showed people that, well, it looks like, you know, the end of 6,000 years is going to be in 1975, and this is when God is going to uh, bring about Armageddon. And uh, so my mother believed that, and and she also uh, became very, um, very much um, 
against, you know, any other churches because they teach you that, you know, they're the only, um, they're the only religious organization that is correct. It is the only religious organization uh, that is approved by God. In fact, they call it God's channel of communication on earth. Mm-hmm. And, and so when you read from the pages of the Watchtower magazine or from the pages of, their, um, of, of any of their publications, um, you're getting this um, communication from God that only and only the people at the Watchtower can bring forth to you because God is using them or Jehovah is using them to bring forth his word or bring the, um, the, the food at the proper time to his people. Yeah. Now, you talk about being raised nominally Catholic, and this is something that we're going to be expanding on more later on. But this is one reason why it's so important that Christians today be grounded, because Walter Martin of a CRI said, and I can see if you agree with this, that the average Jehovah's Witness can turn the average Christian into a doctrinal pretzel in 90 seconds or less. Absolutely true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because most most people who um, talk to Jehovah's Witnesses at the door... Um, you know, if you don't know your Bible and you don't know your scripture um, thoroughly, um, you won't be able to talk to them because no. the Jehovah's Witnesses know how to do this skipping around the Bible. What they mm-hmm. do is they, they've got scriptures that they have memorized, and then what they've done is they take one scripture out of context from Isaiah, another scripture out of context from maybe Daniel, another scripture from Revelation, another scripture from... Uh, Matthew, Apostles, yeah. you know, yeah. wherever, you know, and then mm-hmm. they start, you know, and then they start building this doctrine on that, and they say, well, scripture says this, scripture says that, and then they put it in together and make 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 it into a doctrine. Well, <laughs> that puts the average person, you know, off kilter after you know going through that, and there's people would be scratching their heads. So when my mother began to study with the witnesses, she knew nothing, absolutely nothing about the Bible. My mother had never read the Bible. Uh, we had a Bible in our house, a big red Catholic Bible. I remember it, and it had a lot of uh, pictures of popes and things like that. And um, But my mother never read it, you know, never. And she never read it to us as kids. And we did go to catechism and early on. But um, we never read the Bible in catechism, and we never um, we, we learned some Catholic doctrine out of their their books, but none of it none of it was actual Bible teaching. Mm-hmm. So we were just clueless when it mm-hmm. uh, came to the Bible. So I'm guessing in that shortly after your mother came to the witnesses, you pretty much just went along and soon identified yourself as a witness. Well, not immediately, mm-hmm. but um, she started taking us to the Kingdom Hall, and um, I think that I was a little bit um, reticent about, you know, believing any of it, because I, I was a little bit suspicious, but then, you know, to me, there's there's something that goes on with the Watchtower and, and within this, this organization, there's this... Um, <laughs> There's this spirit of evil, this supernatural thing that I think takes over because I remember going to one of their conventions that they had. They used to have these weekend conventions, and my mother said I had to go. And I was about 14 years old at the time, and uh, she said I had to go. I couldn't stay home. And 
and all of a sudden I had sat as I sat there through that convention listening to all these different talks by the end of that convention I was converted for some reason I began to believe and to this day I cannot figure out why except that I think that it was kind of a demonic power that you know comes upon uh, comes upon uh, this organization that you know this deceitful power and um, to this day I, I can't figure out exactly what it was that made me uh, believe but by the end of that convention I believed <coughs> I'd like people to really know that Cynthia's telling you quite a bit about what goes on these conventions and how indoctrinating it really is and it's not just her really. when I lived in Charlotte with my roommate we went to a uh, Jehovah's Witness service one weekday evening because we had witnesses visiting us they wanted us to come so we agreed to come and of course we're both very grounded in scripture and apologetics so <clears throat> intellectually it wasn't an issue for us but I still tell people to this day going and watching that service was one of the creepiest things I have ever seen. Yeah, probably. Um, and I don't know if you noticed, but you know they'll say a scripture, and everybody has their New World translations open, and then they're you know fingering through their Bibles, you know, almost in unison. <laughs> oh yes, you see, when the Jehovah's Witnesses come today, I don't know if they have that book back in the seventies, but they have the book today. What does the Bible really teach? And that's the main one that they use today. <laughs> and yeah. we were always surprised because when the witnesses came and asked us questions, we had long, long discussions on each question. We were saying, well, you guys, you really give really in-depth answers. And we were thinking, well, what's so surprising about that? Then we went to one of their services, like I said, and we heard them reading from that same book. And the answers came from the book verbatim every time. Oh, now we understand. Yes. <laughs> yes, in fact, when a person studies with Jehovah's Witnesses, um, well, they'll use that book and, you know, they will read the paragraphs and then... Uh, there's a question at the end uh, of each page corresponding to each paragraph, and then you're asked to answer that question there. And you, a good person who's studying, you know, one of their, who they think is a good person, who is one of their good studies, will always answer exactly from the paragraph. Mm -hmm. And there is no other further thinking required or even allowed. They don't really want to hear your other thoughts. They don't really want you to do critical thinking. It's right. very rote, and mm -hmm. it's just pretty much the answer is what is written in their books and nothing else. In, in fact, there was a Watchtower magazine, I understand, years ago that came out of an article where it condemned independent thinking, questioning God's organization. Yes, I think that was in ni 1981 that was from the Watchtower, and they said uh, that uh, they would... They did not approve of people studying the Bible on their own or having mm -hmm. small group Bible studies together that were not sanctioned by the Watchtower and that uh, independent thinking would not be allowed. And that's mm -hmm. pretty much what they said. Yeah, I think even Charles Taz Russell, who founded the organization, 
wrote his book, series of studies in the scriptures, and said that a person who studied the Bible apart from his material would go into darkness within a year's time. That's absolutely correct. And they still pretty much believe this today. That mm. if you don't keep up with their mm. publications and learn the, you know, the latest new light, you know, mm. that you'd be going into darkness. And I do remember also being there and hearing so many people say, and I'm trying to say it the way I heard it, and again, it, it was just freaked me out when I said, but we are so thankful for the faithful and discreet slave providing food in the proper time. Exactly. And what they've done, essentially, is they've made an idol out of what they call the Faithful and Discreet Slave, which mm -hmm. is the Watchtower organization. They're not really giving glory to the true God mm -hmm. or to Jesus. It's, mm -hmm. it's really all about their organization and what their organization does. Yeah. Another thing we found very creepy about, now, I tend to have a 10-ear. My roommate, Tom, he's a great fan of music. He can appreciate music a whole lot more than I can. But I heard music coming through there. There were no musical instruments in the room. Anyway, it sounded like it was coming from a recording, and the music was just so monotone entirely. Oh, yes, that's their kingdom songs <laughs> from their... Uh, kingdom song songbook and they have all their own songs they don't use any christian hymns and um in fact they are not allowed to um to have musical instruments or to have a piano or an organ or ha have any kind of worship band because they really don't worship they, mm -hmm. I, they they sing these songs and the songs are all about the faithful and discreet slave and it's about being a jehovah's witness and the apostates being destroyed. <laughs> Something like that. But the other thing is that they really hinder um, creativity. Mm -hmm. They they want to create all these little Jehovah's Witness robots. Mm -hmm. So nobody is supposed to stand out or to... Um, they, they don't want anybody displaying any kind of personal talents. You know, like somebody who can play the piano or mm -hmm. somebody play the guitar or anything like that you know you're supposed to be all uh, they, they call it unity but they want everybody to have uniformity and they did remember had a half hour session asking a question in this case of does the Bible really teach that we have a soul and they even had people come up and do some role playing to demonstrate how you would present these on when you're going door to door doing evangelism Oh yeah, you must have uh, you must have attended their um, theocratic ministry school. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, yeah that, that must have been on on a on a week night, not mm -hmm. a Sunday morning. Oh, it was a week night. Yeah, and so uh, this is what they call their theocratic ministry school, and this is where all the Jehovah's Witnesses learn. Uh, this is how they learn to teach others. This is how they learn how to preach and to go door to door and to um, and to answer objections and mm -hmm. to to speak to people, you know, uh, like make cold calling and to talk on a, almost any subject that comes up and to overcome objections and, and to do persuasive techniques. It's all taught in their theocratic ministry school. Uh, in fact, uh, after I left the witnesses, I started going to college. Um, I had to take a, a speech class um, in, in, the, in my business curriculum and uh, I aced the class. And you know why? Because I had already learned all those techniques in 
the Kingdom Hall with mm. the Theocratic Ministry School. <laughs> and then the final thing I remember as we were leaving, and this is something that groups like Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, and other cult groups are really good at, is what took place was people surrounding us in what I call love bombing. Oh, yes. Love bombing. Anytime there's anybody new showing up at the Kingdom Hall, they really go out of their way. I mean, really out of their way to make sure that they, um, they, they try to just start to recruit you. They want to pin you down to um, studying with them, they're showing you all this love and attention. And if you're vulnerable, if you're just a person who walked in off the street, maybe you were lonely, maybe you were going, um, you know, through a bad time in life, maybe you've just lost your job or, you know, gone through marital difficulties or something like that, you know, that would make a vulnerable person very, um, you know, very vulnerable to, mm. to, to this kind of love bombing so that, you know, you, when you meet people that want to, seem like they love you and want to take you in like that, you know, a person might gravitate toward that. It happens yeah. all the time. Yeah. Now, now, fortunately, even if I hadn't been intellectually prepared as an Aspie, I was terrified by this anyway. Right. One distinct memory I have is someone coming and taking my hand and shaking it and introducing themselves. And I hear David, my roommate behind me, saying, say your name. And, you know, internally I knew I needed to do that. I had to do that. It was a respectful thing to do. But I was so terrified at that moment. And, yeah, that, that's also something some churches need to keep in mind, that when you meet people like us, going forward and being loving immediately isn't always the best thing to do, but the courts sure seem to do it well. Yeah, as, as a Kingdom Hall boy, they they really go for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, now, something else that we can learn with is, honestly, if Christians were as sincere about studying what we believe as Jehovah's Witnesses were, I really think we could have a revolution in our country. Absolutely. That's, mm -hmm. that's absolutely true. Because most Christians do not know their... Um, the biblical doctrines, true biblical doctrines. I mean, they may listen to, you know, this pastor, that pastor, mm. or, or catch catch something on Christian radio every mm. now and then. Mm. But a lot of times what you get on Christian uh, TV or radio sometimes isn't the very best unless you know, your, unless you know who you're uh, uh, listening to and what they believe. Uh, yeah, sometimes Allie does turn on Christian television, hearing some preachers and such. Usually I consider it more of a comedy hour than anything else. Like, oh gosh, did, did, did they really say that? And especially if we end up watching some of these health and wealth t-shirts, like, oh boy, this is just... Yeah, I don't know whether to laugh or cry. I, I know, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> yeah. And you and I have talked on the phone, we talked recently, and I remember even telling you about times that I've gone to services and I've heard horrible preachers, and some of them well over twice my age who should know better, saying such nonsense straight from the pulpit, and it angers me every time, saying, this is what the church is getting for its meat. No wonder we're dying. I know, and then sometimes uh, I've heard pastors, they'll, they'll make statements, and it's not biblically true, but it's something that they've heard in pop culture that they think is in the Bible, and it's mm. not. <laughs> Don't you know God helps those who help themselves? 
I don't have to have, um, you know, I no longer, you know, have to be under his roof mm-hmm. um, because he's disfellowshipped and they really don't care what he does. So um, after that, you know, I, I filed for separation and eventually for divorce. And then I started attending college. And by the time I started attending uh, Pima Community College, I was starting to learn how to do some critical thinking. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, when when I started to learn how to do critical thinking, and I'd go and read the pages of the Watchtower, and then things suddenly just no longer made sense. And I um, I, I attended fewer and fewer and fewer meetings as, as time went on. You know. Oh, and I also wanted to talk about the part where you know where I was being abused, and he was finally disfellowshipped. So at that, I think that's the time I started to think about, well, we've got smoking on one hand and we've got, you know, uh, beating up your wife on the other <laughs> hand. And, and I started to think, well, which is the worst thing, you know? Yeah. You know, someone smoking a cigarette or somebody assaulting, you know, assault and battery on another person. <laughs> yeah. Um, I and like that's, that was, you know, that was just amazing to me that anybody could, you know, you get kicked out of the kingdom for smoking a cigarette, but you can't get kicked out of the kingdom for assault and battery. <laughs> yeah. Now, I'd like to say something on that point also, that Cynthia has become good friends with me and my wife, and she, she calls my wife sometimes, which I really appreciate because I think women need to speak to women a lot. But... Our show is about Jehovah's Witnesses, but if any woman is listening and they are in an abusive relationship, please get out of that as soon as you can. There is no need to put up with that whatsoever. If you think it can be resolved, counseling is good, but if you are convinced it cannot be, I really think it's best to escape as soon as you can. And in case people do put up things like, call your husband Lord and things of that sort, my thinking on this has been that I do believe biblically a man is indeed the king of his castle. He is meant to be the head of his household. But if a man is the king of his castle, then the woman he with gets treated like a queen. Yes. <laughs> I agree with you there. Yes. Uh, a husband should treat his wife like, like the queen. And they're, they are just um, equal before you know, equal equal before God's eyes, mm-hmm. definitely. Now, so you're in college and you start learning critical thinking skills, and that really makes you question the witnesses. What do you think was a real breaking point, if there was one? Let's see. I don't know that there was any certain breaking point during that time. Um, I I did have another friend who was a Christian. And, and he kept praying for me. He was a neighbor of mine who was going to college. And, um, you know, when I told him that I was, you know, in the Jehovah's Witnesses, I was still a witness at the time, but not really going to the meetings. I had been kind of inactive. And uh, he says, well, Cynthia, I'm just going to pray for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, then he kept inviting me to his church, kept inviting me to the church. And I kept saying no. And then finally, um, I don't know, I just kind of came to a point where, okay, I'll I'll try your church. So I went to church, and um, this was 
this was really God's timing. <laughs> yeah, and you didn't explode when you walked in the door or anything. No, I didn't. And um, I was I was a little afraid because I'd heard so many um, urban legends. Yeah. Uh, you talked about, you know, in the Watchtower that, you know, a former Jehovah's Witness walks into a church and the chandelier falls down and kills them. You know? mm. Wow. <laughs> and, and that didn't happen to me. I had, I kept looking around for chandeliers to fall, and I didn't find any loose chandeliers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I attended the service, and the service was, was not scary, and the pastor was good, and they had a good worship team, and um, it was uh, a lot more interesting than being at a Kingdom Hall meeting. And, um, you know, the Watchtower always said that, you know, Christian churches didn't use the Bible, and uh, that pastor used the Bible a lot, and I was really surprised. And, and he actually taught in context, and he had been teaching through um, the book of Psalms, and uh, actually teaching in context, verse by verse. <laughs> so uh, I, was, I was really surprised to see that. And then at the end of the service, I kind of looked around, and I saw a familiar face. And this familiar face happened to be a lady who had also been a Jehovah's Witness, or I thought, you know, I really recognized her, so I was not sure at the time. So what happened was I uh, went up to her and approached her, and I just said, um, I said something to her that would tip her off mm-hmm. to let her know that I was a former Jehovah's Witness. And if she wasn't the person that I thought she was, then it just wouldn't make any sense, and she would say, oh, I think you have the wrong person. So I just went up to her, and I said, Mary, didn't I ever used to see you at those conventions and assemblies over at the community center? And um, uh, she said, oh, yes, I know you, I recognize you. And she gave me a big hug. And um, at that time, she took me under her wing. And uh, we, she started calling me. We met together. And uh, she started showing me all the things, all the doctrinal errors of the Watchtower, because she had already found out. And because uh, her husband's um, cousin was married to a, a man who had also come out of the Watchtower, and they were uh, really researching the doctrinal errors of the Watchtower. And so their, their family all knew about it already. And uh, it had to do with the 19, when 1975 didn't happen, then this family, there were quite a few people at that time who uh, were started researching and looking at the Watchtower history to see if what they had said in the past was true. And they found so many errors, false teaching, false prophecies. So she started telling me about all of these. And then she said, Cynthia, and did you know that the Watchtower says that Jesus is not our mediator. And I said, what? The Watchtower says that? So she pulled out a Watchtower from 1979 that said that Jesus is only mediator for 144,000. And I looked at that, and that was definitely the deal breaker. At that time, I looked at it, and I said to myself, I know Jesus is mediator for all who accept him and believe in him. And um, about that time, I accepted Christ as my Savior, or very soon after that. And um, I knew from that day forward, the watchtower was completely false. They were a completely false 
organization uh, guilty of not only teaching false doctrines but false prophecy and meet, uh, and misleading millions of people as well. Yep, Cynthia, we were talking earlier about pastors and how many of them are failing their flocks and such and the stuff you can hear it's not true. Can you imagine what would have happened if you'd gone into the church and you'd had one of those pastors giving the sermon? What do you think would have happened? If I would have been in a church that where where the pastor was just kind of teaching fluff, you mean? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I probably would not have been very impressed. <laughs> And I, I probably would have left. I may not have uh, continued going to, to church because um, I would have thought that the Watchtower uh, taught it better. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, when we're talking about this, also you talked about the uh, 144,000. Could you explain what that is a little bit? Yes. Um, the Watchtower teaches that only 144,000 people go to heaven, mm -hmm. and uh, they get this from uh, Revelation, uh, Revelation 7, Revelation 14, uh, where it mentions 144,000, and then they apply it to their organization mm -hmm. of those who have been um, spiritually blessed by Jehovah and chosen to be, you know, um, part of this, this what they call. Uh, the little flock that's going to be the 144,000 they say is going to be God's government in heaven mm -hmm. uh, if you talk to any of them at the door they'll tell you well it's going to be like this government you know like senators and congress people and things like that and Jesus is going to be the king but he needs 144,000 senators and congress uh, congress people to help him out you know rule the earth yeah, I, I remember there was that I saw years ago online it's a kind of humorous satirical piece about the handy J.W. Apostate glossary of terms and it talked about the paradise earth doctrine and such and such a second class of existence where a bunch of people would be ruled over by a bunch of people they didn't like in this life to begin with Exactly. So you have 144,000 in, in heaven, and that will include Charles Chase Russell and you know each president of the Watchtower Society and uh, you know the the people of uh, you know from the early years of the Watchtower, all of them, and then the rest of everybody else is going to be living on this paradise earth. So I guess what happened in 1935, um, they had um, been recruiting so many people into the organization that it was going to surpass 144,000. And so they decided that they were going to make two classes of people, one heavenly class and one earthly class. So essentially, if you came into the organization after 1935, you were going to be of the earthly class. And uh, when I was a witness during during the um, the early years, you know, there were maybe 7,000 or so of people who claimed to be of the 144,000. And, and the reason they knew how many people there were was because once a year they have this pseudo-communion service, and it's called um, the Memorial of Christ's Death. It's usually around, you know, the time that we celebrate Easter and the Resurrection, uh, the, and they've chosen the, the Hebrew um, month, Nisan the 14th, uh, to do it. Uh, and, you know, it's kind of, you know, they pass around the unleavened bread and the wine, and uh, only people who are part of this 144,000 are allowed to partake. Everybody else passes it through, you know, like it's a hot potato, 
And uh, if you are one of the 144,000, then you're allowed to partake. And so each kingdom hall makes a record of who partook, and that gets sent up to the Watchtower headquarters. So that's how they keep count of them. They used to teach that once all the the people who were part of this 144,000, after they've all passed away, because they they used to teach that, um, you know, as we get closer and closer to the end, uh, the, the, the little flock, the 144,000 members who are still live on earth, you know, when they get down to, to nothing and the last one has died, that's when Armageddon was, was going to come. You know, it was the generation that, you know, <laughs> was supposed to not, you know, pass away. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and so now, um, as I look at the numbers for those who claim to be a, of this anointed class, they also call it the anointed class, um, they, uh, they, these numbers have been rising every year, so you wonder why. You know, why are more and more people claiming to be of this, of this anointed class? So they've had to change their, um, they've had to change their doctrines, uh, throughout the years and a few years ago. Um, you know, when they used to teach about this generation not passing away. Now they've got overlapping generations. So, um, you know, this generation overlaps that generation. So you've got this never-ending generation thing so, and, and an endless loop of generations so that they don't have to be accountable for their false teaching. Yeah, I've been wondering about, because I've understood that if you're going to be part of a governing body, you have to be a part of the 144,000. And so I thought, you know, in a decade or two, this organization is going to be in a whole lot of trouble. Yeah, that's their coming crisis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a, a book by that name by Daniel Rodriguez, uh, mm-hmm. The Watchtower's Coming Crisis. So if, if you can get that book, uh, it, it, talks, it talks about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, that, that's a talk also about how uh, the mindset works with witnesses. I mean, when a witness comes to my door... What kinds of things do I have to say and not say? Because their mindset is going to be totally different than mine. Right. Um, a lot of people do the wrong thing at first. They they think that they can um, talk to the witnesses and say, "Oh yeah, I'm going to show them the truth right here from the Bible. I'm gonna I'm going to show them where they're wrong." Okay. Mm-hmm. You're somebody coming to somebody's door. The first thing. Uh, the first thing someone's going to tell you is how wrong you are. Now, do you think that person is, you know, do you think you as a person would really be open to listening if all the person, another person is telling you is how wrong you are? No more than I listen to new atheists regularly. (laughs) I know. Mm -hmm. So right away, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses will go on the defensive because Mm -hmm. they, um, don't want to hear about how wrong they are. Okay, mm-hmm. so it's going to have to be approach it a lot differently. You cannot go in with the Trinity mm-hmm. <laughs> at first because they are so um, opposed to the Trinity. They this is what the Watchtower does to them. Okay, in in the pages of the Watchtower, and then there's also a book called um, Should You Believe in the Trinity? They put all kinds of pictures of false gods. Uh, or the statues of false gods from false religions that have three-headed gods. Yeah. So they think that when 
Christians talk of the Trinity that we have a three-headed God mm-hmm. and that it's, you know, that it's a, all a pagan doctrine. So they're going to be immediately close themselves off to you if you try to show them anything about how the Trinity is true because they're just not going to listen. And by the way, I'd like you to know, I did just look up on Amazon here, The Watchtower's Coming Crisis, it's a book some of you If you want it, it's 382 on Kindle, and it looks like it's a short read, just 62 pages. Yes, and it's a good book. And the same author, he also did another one called Winning the Witnesses, mm-hmm. and, it's, and it's very good, too. Okay. Now, I've also been told that one of the things you should avoid is using words and assuming they have the same meaning, like, say, salvation or Jesus or anything like that, because witnesses have a totally different understanding of the words. Yes, um, their 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 language is, is different. Um, Jesus, as we believe, the Son of God, the, mm-hmm. the eternal Son of God, is, is not the same in the Watchtower. Their Jesus is Michael the Archangel mm-hmm. in his, in his uh, pre-human existence. So they believe that Jehovah, you know, who is the Father, went and created Michael the Archangel as his first creation and, and then, you know, sent him to the earth to become, you know, his mm-hmm. son. And that um, and then they also have the heresy of adoptionism, which Jesus, born on earth, didn't, didn't become the Christ until his baptism by, the, mm-hmm. by John the Baptist. So their, their concept of Jesus, although they say it's Jesus and it's got all the, um, got the outline of, of, of Jesus being born of Mary and in Bethlehem and all that, it's, it's not the, the scriptural Jesus that we believe who is always been um, the eternal son of, son of God it's different it's a much different Jesus and their Jesus uh, the watchtower Jesus really had no power to, you know he didn't he didn't really heal the sick he didn't he didn't uh, um, you know heal the lame he didn't uh, he didn't have any real powers while he was on earth it was basically so he went to somebody and he kind of looked up and prayed to Jehovah and, and then and then you know the miracle happened because of Jehovah not because Jesus actually had the power to heal now one response when they come to your door that I think you'd agree we absolutely must not do is slamming the door in their face right because they um, are taught at the kingdom hall that uh, if somebody slams the door in their face or gives them any kind of opposition or acts um, uh, mean in any way or, you know, says bad things to them, um, that this is um, persecution. And so they uh, are happy, you know, they're, they're told to be happy when they're persecuted because this will um, solidify in their own minds that they are in the right religion. Mm-hmm. Now, <clears throat> let's suppose and we got someone who, this person is getting ready to head out for some event, they can't delay, and here comes the witnesses. What do you think the average witness would think if this person was told them, said, hey guys, I'm, I'm really glad you came, I really want to talk, but I've got to head out somewhere and I'm not able, can we arrange a time and date and you all can come back, say, next week and we can talk? 
I would say that is the best thing that you can do. Mm-hmm. Definitely uh, exchange phone numbers with them. Um, make a date and time for them to come. If they don't show up, make sure you have their phone number and says, "Hey, I was I was uh, thinking that you would come by, you know, and I was waiting for you, you know. I I hope um, you know you're able to come by soon, you know." Mm-hmm. For some reason, they don't show up. But yes, get their contact information, mm-hmm. and uh, then you know get prepared for them when when they come the next week. Yeah, and sometimes if you're not sure you're prepared, I mean, what I tell people in my area is if you're not sure and you want some help, what would you would you encourage people to call someone like me or someone in their church who knows this issue and say, would you like to come by and talk about it, or would that kind of set the witnesses off? Yeah, you know, uh, you know, bring a friend is fine. They always bring a friend. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, if uh, if you don't know enough about the witnesses, um, you know, call someone like me mm-hmm. who's an ex-witness and, yeah. and you know knows how to refute their doctrines. Yeah. The only the only thing is sometimes they do get suspicious, and I've been asked straight out, "Did you were you ever one of Jehovah's Witnesses?" And when they realize that I'm what they call an apostate, um, they won't talk to me. Yeah. I'll leave, you know, because they think I'm demon-possessed. Mm-hmm. In fact, they have written in the pages of the Watchtower that mm-hmm. the apostates are mm-hmm. mentally diseased people. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Now, we've, uh, me and my friends have often made some jokes about this remark. Maybe you can tell me if there's any truth to it, but, you know, the Watchtower, they do have a plan on how they're going to go forward and do their evangelism. I think their third president really set this out for them very well. But we said, I said, after a while, they come to me, and then they just stop coming. And then the joke is, yeah, there's a big red X on your house on the map of the Watchtower headquarters. When you have a local watchtower, is there any truth that me over? You told, yeah, here's a house to avoid. Um, I tell you, when when I was when I was in the watchtower and I was going door to door, and we found somebody who consistently was opposed, or if we thought somebody was a former witness or an apostate, um, we would mark in the territory card not to go to a certain house. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and so that so, would be passed. That would be brought back to headquarters, man, and the headquarters can say, okay, if this is a house, all you witnesses are to avoid. Well, I don't know that it would, it would go to headquarters, but it does stay on record at the Kingdom Hall with the territory map. See, every uh, when Jehovah's Witnesses go out door to door, they select a territory map to go out. So it would be like several square blocks or, mm-hmm. you know, a certain uh, area, you know, that the Kingdom Hall is located in. You know, and it has the streets that you work and uh, the borders of, of each uh, of, of each territory. So there would be a note that might be inserted in that territory card uh, that in, in the envelope that says, "Do not ever go to this address." Yeah. The last time we had witnesses come by, sadly enough, they didn't come to my my house, but I don't know if they went next door to my parents' house, and the amusing thing about that is, uh, my wife had her dad visiting at the time, and he was stay- staying up there, and oh, her nice. <laughs> her dad, as me and the listeners show know, is Mike Lacona, he's yeah. a very trained <laughs> Christian apologist, and he knows his Greek very, very well, and that's the point they wanted to get at when they came to the door and said, and so what the Bible says, he says, 
women, ladies, I've I've been studying the Greek for twenty years. That's not what it says. Although <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I I would encourage people, and I'm thinking you'd probably agree with this, that if you don't know the Greek language, don't go into the Greek language. <laughs> yeah, they think they know Greek because the Watchtower tells them mm-hmm. what the Greek means, but the Watchtower doesn't know because there isn't anybody in the Watchtower on in in their governing body who actually knows Greek or studies Greek. Mm-hmm. And wasn't that established at a trial? They were even talking about the New World Translation one time. Yes, I, I believe it was uh, mm-hmm. when uh, Fred Franz. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, had to admit, you know, he didn't really know Greek. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, the New World Translations, I mentioned it, that's their own Bible. Could you tell us a little bit about it? Well, it's not really a, a translation, because in order to be a real translation, you have to go to, <laughs> you have to go to the original languages and translate. Mm-hmm. And since nobody knows the original languages, it actually is kind of a, oh, transliteration I guess not a, a translation mm-hmm. because they they don't nothing's really translated and what they've done is they've just they they rearranged or reworded scriptures to fit their doctrine mm-hmm. especially you know looking at the book of John that has to do with the deity of Christ um, they have you know reworded things or uh, you know, taken out words or added words, you know, or John 1-1, one, one. I'm, yeah. I'm sure a lot of people know about this, yeah. you know, where the word was a God, <laughs> yeah. uh, and and so they've, they've just made sure that they have um, mistranslated the deity of Christ. And then in the book of Colossians, in the first chapter, they add the word ever four times in Colossians 1, 15-18. Right, he created all other things. <laughs> and, uh, I actually think one of the biggest mistakes the Watchtower made along these lines was when they came out with the Kingdom Interlinear translation. And I happen to have one of those on my bookshelves. And you can look through and you can show them directly. Here's what your own translation says, the Greek says, on this side. Here's the way they translate it on the other side. Right, right. Even, even when you get to John eight fifty eight in their in their New World Translation, they say, "I have been." Right. Uh, but in the New World, in the Kingdom in Orenio, it's got in Greek, "I am." Exactly. Right. Exactly. And, and of course, in their translation, New Testament, they add Jehovah to the New Testament several several times when Jehovah doesn't show up at all in the New Testament. At least. Not the word shows up. No, uh, well, the the Tetragrammaton doesn't show up at all in 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 the um, original Greek at all. Mm-hmm. So, but they they've inserted the name Jehovah everywhere. Mm-hmm. Now, you also talked a little bit about that. Uh, should you believe in the Trinity booklet? And I've talked about this booklet some in public places and such, and I've done classes and things of that sort. And it is indeed one of the worst researched books that there is. But if you don't know better, it looks like it's incredibly researched. Oh, exactly. Almost all this stuff looks like it's incredibly researched. Uh And if you're a Jehovah's Witness, 
um, they have they t they tell you that they've already done all the research and that you don't need to do any other research because all the all the research is done for you. So they never look outside mm -hmm. their own publications. They never look outside and do any critical thinking or uh, you know go to the library and look and see if any of this stuff that they said is true. Mm -hmm. Do you think it could help if when witnesses come by, if you can get in contact with the original books themselves, and this could be much easier in an age of Google Books and things of that sort, so you can show them what's really being said in the books? Well, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't do that with your first meetings with the witnesses. Right. Um, if you have already built up a relationship and they trust you and they think of you as a friend, mm -hmm. um, you know, kind of little by little, you, you can, you know, show them this stuff. But I would never do this in your first meetings because uh, any anybody who actually looks like they're opposing their doctrine, they run because yeah. they are full of uh, fear and phobia. Yeah. Now, I often encourage people with this that, and this is something we sometimes do in our own evangelism apartments of witnesses, that too often it seems like we do mission impossible Christianity, as I call it, where we have, make it, we have to get these people to Jesus. We have to get them there right now. There's no time to wait. There's, we have to get this done as quickly as possible, and you use rush tactics that don't frankly do it. And I say, you know, take your time. Go slowly. You, you do have time, really, more often to get these people to Jesus. And if you try to rush them to the cross, you could, in fact, be rushing them away from a cross. That's true. Um, to me, you know, the, what I what I really do is just I try to plant seeds. Yeah. I, yeah. I try to get them to to think. I ask them thoughtful questions mm -hmm. uh, so that they can think about what it is they really believe. Because a lot of them, you know, they know what they believe. They just don't know why they believe it or where it comes from. Mm -hmm. And so, if you start you know, maybe digging to find out, well, where does this come from, and, 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 and where did you get this? Where does this doctrine come from? And they might bring you, you know, watchtowers that, you know, say this, and, that, you know, they'll, and they'll give you the reference of, you know, where they pulled it out from out of context, and then you say, well, hmm, maybe I can look that up, and then, you know, then, you know, go and, and find the, the actual source, and yeah. then you'll find that the actual source doesn't say what they're what they're saying it says in the watchtower. Mm -hmm. They totally they're, they're they're being totally deceptive uh, about what the source is actually saying. Yeah. One analogy I've used to explain the watchtower, and I've heard several ex-Jehovah's Witnesses say this is a good analogy, is that you have to get them to question the watchtower itself because that is what they're depending on, and then I compare it to the Matrix where these people are plugged into a system and they will defend it to the death. And what you have to do is somehow find a way to get them unplugged from the watchtower and not dependent on the system. Oh, the Matrix. That is such a good analogy. Mm -hmm. In fact, the first time I ever watched that movie, I was like, that's just like being in the watchtower. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, well, what's real? What's truth? What's 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 going on here? Mm. And uh, yeah, the, the mm. first thing you, you need to do is help them lose faith in the watchtower. You've got to look for, mm. um, you know, like they've got this. Think of them having this 
you know, there's this armor on, this watchtower armor, and somewhere in that armor there's a little chink in there somewhere that's, uh, you know, not perfect. It's, mm -hmm. You know, you find that chink in the armor that's, that's weak, and where, you know, you can get them to question something about the watchtower that may set them off a little bit, but, you know, it's something that they really need to think about. Yeah, I'd like to remind people that you are listening to the Deeper Waters podcast right now. I am Nick Peters, your host. And we're talking with Cynthia Hampton, an ex-Jehovah's Witness, about Jehovah's Witnesses. But if you're listening next week, and I hope you are, we're going to have Tyler Vela coming on. And he interviewed me recently for his own show, the Free to Thinker podcast. And he interviewed me about my critique of Internet atheist David McAfee's book, Disproving Christianity. And Tyler himself has written quite a critique of McAfee, and we are going to be talking about that next week on the show, so I hope you'll be back here. Now, when what you were talking about, the chink in the armor, that got me to think about what you said about how we can tend to say, for instance, jump straight to the Trinity and such. And even those of us who know how to defend the deity of Christ and the Trinity very well, that is one of the points that they consider the strongest point. So it probably wouldn't work best to make a forefrontal attack on that one, even if we know it well, right? Uh, exactly. I, I would not go to the Trinity because they they have their little books that show mm. show them how to refute everything. So they're going to try to make a doctrinal pretzel out of you. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I, I would go I would go in with with something else like the 144,000 and the faithful and discreet slave, what they teach about that, or, or how, um, how only, uh, how they have this memorial once a year, the, the pseudo-communion service, and how it, um, how they say that, that only people of the, of, of this 144,000 are, they're the only ones who are allowed to partake. Start questioning, you know, like some of these small other doctrines, uh, rather than the biggie, the trinity. Um, because that's where you may make a little more progress here uh, because they may not have thought through some of these things um, as, as much as they think that they have. Mm -hmm. And also one book that I've got on my bookshelf that the witnesses use quite often. In fact, Ron Rhodes made a point of kind of parodying this book. The title is their Reasoning from the Scriptures book. And if anyone wants to see how in depth they go with answering questions on every topic. It's in the reasoning book. I mean, that's over 400 pages they've got. That I've I've seen women Jehovah's Witnesses come by and they open up their purses and I look inside. Yep, there's a reasoning book. Yeah, <laughs> they always have it because they always have have it just in case someone at the door asks them questions. So they pull out that book and they go to it's, it's topical and then you know it's kind of like well if the householder says this then you tell them that. Yeah. Now one topic I think that could be interesting for us to discuss is also they have a very unique doctrine on blood donations. Uh, blood transfusions. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, Jehovah's Witnesses are not allowed to uh, have blood transfusions, but they also aren't supposed to do um, donating their own blood. Yeah. Yes, that is true. Okay. Um, blood for a long, long time, uh, they were not allowed to have a transfusion of any kind. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, if they had a, a blood transfusion, they would be disfellowshipped or ex 
communicated. They were not allowed to have a blood transfusion if they were going to have heart surgery or anything else. It, even if it were an emergency mm-hmm. and, um, you know, they were in an accident and they lost blood, you cannot even have blood to save your life. Uh, they carry around these um, cards. Yeah. Uh, in their in their uh, wallets that say no blood transfusions for any reason. You sign it. Uh, they even have um, medical powers of attorney that uh, you know, like if say you're you're hospitalized and uh, you sign this power of attorney uh, to somebody else in the Kingdom Hall, so that they, uh, in case you're unconscious or something, they can make the decision for you and tell the doctors that uh, you are not to have a blood transfusion for any reason. When I was a cashier at a Walmart, I do remember every now and then I'd see someone open up their wallet and such, and I'd see that card in there, and I'd yep, I'm talking to Jehovah's Witness here. Yes, um, but uh, later on they started to change their doctrine just a little bit in the 70s, uh, where they do allow um, hemophiliacs uh, to get the medication that they need, the um mm. The, the treatments that the, the the hemophiliac treatment um, the, the shots that they get for their uh, blood condition um, the watchtower approved it for some reason and um, but all of that comes of course those are all blood derivatives and then they they changed uh, their doctrine to say that you can get this blood fraction but not that blood fraction like you're allowed um, hemoglobin, but you're not allowed a complete red blood cell, and you're not allowed white cells, and you're not allowed platelets, but you're allowed, you know, these other, you know, and I can't remember all the the names of the parts of blood, but they, you know, chop them up and they say, these ones are allowed and these ones are are not allowed, and it's, it's so silly, because if if it's truly against God's law to to have blood or to take in any kind of, of blood, then then why is it that they, that uh, they're allowing you to get all these um, fractions of blood? That that makes no sense. Okay, now some people might be listening and saying, "Wait, wait, against God's law to to take blood." Okay, where does it say it's against the law? Well, they'll take um, they'll take the scripture from uh, Leviticus, you know, where uh, yeah. you're you're not allowed to to eat blood. Seventeen eleven. Seventeen eleven. Yes, they take that scripture, and um, and then they take the scripture from um, Acts um, fifteen, yeah, uh, twenty eight, twenty nine, where it says that you should avoid all these things, and it's one of you know it's and blood is mentioned uh, that. And, and so they say, well, there it is. You know, you should avoid blood. And that's, they've made a whole doctrine out of refusing blood transfusions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've actually even heard accounts of children with leukemia where you pretty much have to have a blood transfusion. And elders have even said, hey, we can get a helicopter flying over here. We can sneak this child out to avoid a transfusion. Um, yeah, in fact, uh, that happened to um well there there was another case that i i, I know of from a, another ex-witness friend of mine paul blizzard and uh he's now a missionary but he uh had had a, had a daughter who uh needed a blood transfusion 
uh, for some sort of disorder that she had. And um, anyway, the, the state took over and, you know, the baby, you know, did get a blood, her needed blood transfusion. But um, as he, he said later, it was, and this is from the movie Witnesses of Jehovah, um, some of the witnesses told him, I hope your baby dies from that blood transfusion. Yeah. I mean, they were very, very un unloving. And so it, it, was, it was just disgraceful. But, you know, here's what the, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses will use this um, Acts 15:29. You know, it says that you abstain what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well, farewell. So they put blood in the same uh, category as, you know, idolatry and uh, sexual immorality. <laughs> Yeah. So that's that's why they say you know you know God looks upon a blood transfusion the same as He looks upon sexual immorality. Mm -hmm. Now, also, when these people come and they get these transfusions, a little bit of explain what you said. The witnesses we're really disfellowship them immediately. I mean, how story is We hate you and we want nothing to do with you from now on. Yeah, that used to be the the case where you know they would get disfellowshipped, and I and it was um, maybe about ten years ago I think that uh, they changed the doctrine a little bit, but it, it really amounts to the same thing. They said, well, a person can get a blood transfusion, but um, that is not approved. But then that person, by getting the blood transfusion, is disassociating himself from Jehovah's Witnesses, and but that's really actually they're going to be treated the same way a disfellowship person is. Interestingly, even looking at passages like Leviticus 17, where it talks about avoiding blood, the most orthodox Jews that there are who take those scriptures so seriously, they don't even avoid blood transfusions. Right, because what what a mm -hmm. blood transfusion is. Um, it's, it's an organ transplant. Yeah. Blood is a liquid organ. So you're not eating it, um, as, you know, in Leviticus, you know, you are not to, to eat blood, but if you're, if you, um, because of modern medicine, uh, we can do, have a blood transfusion, which is, you know, a liquid transplant. Mm -hmm. They do allow transplants. Now, it used to be the Watchtower did not allow anybody to get a, even a cornea transplant. Because they, they used to say, um, and I remember this was straight from the pages of the Watchtower, anybody who has a kidney transplant or whatever kind of transplant, um, heart transplant, um, it's, it's akin to cannibalism. Mm -hmm. That's what they used to teach, that it was, it was just like cannibalism. And that if you, um, you know, received a transplant from a, you know, maybe a person uh, who was a criminal, you know, that if you've got a criminal's heart, then you would end up turning into a criminal yourself. Or if you've got blood or um, uh, some organ from, you know, maybe a prostitute, you would turn into a prostitute yourself. So they built up all these, you know, fears and phobias, you know, against the um, transfusions and uh, transplants and, and so forth. And, um, by by just making people really afraid of what would happen to them if if the, if they would you know not only would they be put out of the congregation and disfellowshipped you know they might turn into you know a bad person themselves. 
Now, I'd like to spend some time also talking about what I think is one of the real Achilles heroes of the Jehovah's Witnesses, and some that can be really quite easily empirically shown, and you can about not only how this can be shown, but how it can be properly illustrated witness, and that's the false prophecies that you mentioned. You know, I think if this is any place to go after a witness to really give them the doubt, it's the false prophecies. Oh, exactly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, and I and I have all the documentation on their false prophecies, starting from back when you know Russell was was mm -hmm. uh, head of the Watchtower Society. I mean, it was back in 1874 that Jesus, you know, was uh, present. You know, was spiritually present on the earth, and Armageddon was supposed to come in 1914. And they changed that doctrine. And now uh, Jesus was uh, present in 1914. But of course, they've, they've changed uh, their doctrine so often. It was 1914, mm -hmm. and then they changed uh, 1915, uh, 1918, 1919, 1925. God was supposed to resurrect Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, in fact, they had a um, mansion uh, built for uh, okay. Old Testament saints over in San Diego, Sarim. Yep. And uh, uh, actually, the uh, president of the Watchtower Society at that time, um, Joseph Rutherford, uh, what actually happened was he ended up uh, living there during the, the winter months because San Diego is so nice. Sort of, you know, if you're going to go live somewhere, you know, San Diego is a place to be in a, in a nice mansion, and this was during the uh, Depression years. Just and, a coincidence. Uh, yeah, just a coincidence. He had a this lovely 16-cylinder Cadillac, and uh, he bootlegged uh, bootlegged uh, liquor into there, and mm. <laughs> all kinds of stuff. Uh, but uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, King David, uh, none of them actually showed up. So, yeah. oh, too bad, huh? <laughs> now, one thing I would say before doing this kind of thing, with showing the witnesses the falsity for the prophecies, I also think it's important. I say the same thing about dealing with Mormons that you do build up the Bible and your belief in it first. Because unfortunately, <clears throat> you talk about, you know, like you learn critical thinking skills and such. A lot of these people who abandon the witnesses, they say they learn critical thinking skills and they become agnostics and atheists immediately. That is a problem I've seen where they have read books that um, debunk the Watchtower and instead of trying to learn what the Bible, uh, what the Bible really says, or learn about real Christianity, see, I went straight from debunking the Watchtower, and then I was at the library, um, you know, looking at encyclopedias and reading the history of the Christian Church, mm -hmm. uh, uh, the history of the Christian Church from, uh, you know, from uh, the Nicene Council, learned what really happened, learned through the throughout the years, and. Uh, the history of the evangelical church. I studied Calvin. I studied Wesley. Uh, learned what you know the, the different schools of doctrine. Um, you know, learned my theology well and learned from the Bible. <laughs> That's where I went. But mm -hmm. a lot of people leaving the witnesses today, they debunk the Watchtower. They read books to debunk the Watchtower, and then they go straight to Dawkins. It, it makes no sense to me <laughs> because instead of really trying to find out what what the Bible really teaches, you know, they're going straight to Dawkins, and uh, that's the sad part. Yeah, but the sad part 
in many cases, it, it's the same thing I have with Christians to go from fundamentalist Christianity to fundamentalist atheism. The mindset, the way of approaching doctrines and examining evidence, it really hasn't changed a bit. All that's changed is the loyalties. Right, right. Now, when you talked about uh, 1975, for instance, I mean, what was the climate like before 1975, and how was it handled after it was pretty empirically shown that, yeah, the war didn't come to an end in 1975? Well, we were all expecting 1975. We, in fact, some of us thought it was going to come in 1974. Um, you know, in the one of our um, Kingdom Ministry um, magazines. Well, it's not really a magazine. It's kind of a little leaflet thing that we get every month for our theocratic ministry school and service meeting. It had something that said there are reports of brothers who are selling their homes and businesses and moving to where the need is great to wait out the last days of the system of this system of things. So they were basically. Um, you know, complimenting people who had given up everything. They they spent their retirement money. They gave up their businesses. They quit their jobs. They sold their homes because they were waiting for Armageddon to come, and they were going out to places and where they called it where the need was great to become uh, missionaries, you know, for, for the Watchtower, um, you know, if they could be in the United States or elsewhere. But um, when, when this did not come... Um, you know, a lot of people started to question, well, you know, what? why did they get it wrong? So then, you know, the Watchtower, you know, said, well, you know, you could be, maybe we're wrong by a year because, you know, they started counting. They thought they could count time from, from when, you know, Adam was created to the end of 6,000 years. They said, oh, well, maybe it's when Eve was created. <laughs> so they mm -hmm. started saying that, well, we were just maybe a little off. Maybe we're off by a year. Yeah. And then when that didn't happen, then they started blaming it on the people. And they said, we never said anything about 1975. It was all you people were overexcited. Yeah, it's really hard to believe that there were a lot of witnesses who did even buy into that excuse, didn't they? Yeah, they didn't buy into that excuse. And that's where a lot of people, uh, well, a lot of people left about that time. And then they started doing the research and, and looking into um, what, the history of the Watchtower really was because we didn't really know. In fact, you know, when I went in, I didn't know what the history was. We were told a little bit of this and that, you know, and, and, you know, they kind of whitewashed their history. In fact, they've got their own history book and it's called uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, Proclaimers of God's Kingdom. And they do mention some of the stuff like Beth Sarim, but, you know, they, they kind of whitewash everything so it, it doesn't look like they actually made a false prophecy. So whoever reads that, you know, who is a Jehovah's Witness today says, oh, well, they didn't make any false prophecies. There's no, they just kind of, um, they, they just had to um, tweak the teaching a little bit because of new light and better understanding. And this is what, uh, this is how they keep covering themselves over, over again. Uh, every time they have a false doctrine or a false teaching, false prophecy, they say, well, we've got new light about this. The Mormons do the same thing. They call it new revelation. Yeah, yeah actually, I've been saying that there were a lot of people who sadly did buy the excuse of a watchtower. 
And because they are to me, if a watchtower says it, they believe in watchtower says it's your fault. They say, well, yeah, I guess it was our fault. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, and, and well, I guess we were too excited. And, and they're so underneath this mind control that, um, you know, the, you know, like my mother, my mother, you know, never thought about it. My mother and all her friends, it's just, you know, kind of the same old thing. And just, you know, they sit there and, you know, this is the truth and I'm not going to question it. And, and I have, um, a younger brother and he's, he's an intelligent guy and he's still into this. And, um, I don't know why he doesn't question it. Um, so it kind of proves that he, you know, intelligence has nothing to do with it. It's just this, um, <coughs> acceptance of, of whatever the watchtower says with you know and the unquestioning authority that you must give the watchtower at all times one thing i know that you know people like my brother and maybe others you know they kind of like the authority that they have you know when a man becomes an elder in the kingdom hall and they have these positions of power um you know they kind of lord it over the people there mm. and they and they like being able to um, you know, uh, be the one who calls the shots at the Kingdom Hall and have all this power. Mm-hmm. Now, I'd like to remind people right now that you're listening to the Deeper Waters podcast. And this is a service that I try to provide because I find the projects to be extremely important and essential, especially for people like Cynthia, who have been trapped in cults before. And if a project wasn't there, I mean, what would happen to them? And it, it's a gateway, many times, to get people to Christ. It's not just answering questions. It's breaking down barriers that keep people from the kingdom of God. But while this comes to you free, the work that we do really isn't. It costs money to uh, to just function here in our world. And if you're, if you're someone who really does appreciate all the work that's put in, to the, to the Ministry of Deeper Waters, put into the website, put into the blog, put into the show, everything. Please, please consider supporting. We we have picked up, I think, as a monthly donor, and now we got a few others, and that's really great. We could always use more. So I encourage you to go to deeperwaters.ddns.net. That's my website. And there is a button there to donate. Now, if you click that button, you get taken to the Ministry of Risen Jesus, which is the Ministry of Mike Lacona, who I mentioned earlier. So, yes, you've gone to the right spot. You make your donation there, and then you email me, or you email Debbie, my mother-in-law, Mike's wife, and say, hey, I made a donation. I made it to, I want to go to you, I want to go to Deeper Waters. Can you make sure it goes there? And if you email me, I will get in touch with Debbie. If you email Debbie, where well, she's already in touch with herself, so there's no need to go beyond that. And we will make sure the donation goes to Deeper Waters. And it will be a tax-deductible donation. Now, also, you have some e-books that you can buy in the store. You can buy the one, it's like a Defining Inerrancy, or Groundless, which is a look at Dan Barker and the Freedom from Religion Foundation and recently I've a few months ago came out with the book on um, um, a creed for the ages uh, look at the Apostles Creed today 
and the and I, I really encourage you to consider doing that sometime because these books can really help you out I hope and when you get them they they will help support the ministry of deeper waters as well and of course you can also go into our e-store and you can buy some books that I talk about on the podcast yes I still need to update that and so if you're buying a book on Amazon you see it's in our e-store you buy it at the same price and we get some of the proceeds as well so why not but of course straight donations is the best way to support us and please consider leaving also a positive review on iTunes I'd love to get those um Cynthia, do you have uh, anything you'd like to, any cause you'd like to see people donate to? Well, I'd, I'd like to see people um, give to ministries that um, expose the cults and, mm-hmm. um, you know, that are apologetically ori- oriented, you know. Um, one of my favorites is uh, MidwestOutreach.org, mm-hmm. and that's uh, run by Don Vino, mm-hmm. and he's done a lot of... Um, work regarding uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, and other uh, new cults. Um, another one um, I like is um, Keith Walker's uh, EvidenceMinistries.org, and he's also done a lot of great work on Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. Mm-hmm. And uh, In fact, I love his uh, YouTube videos. They're quick questions for Jehovah's Witnesses and quick questions for Mormons. So right off the top of my head, those ones are just really good ones to support. Now, when we were talking about the way that the Jehovah's Witnesses have their end times doctrines and such, uh, what were some of the other times that they got it wrong? The other times that they got it wrong? You Mm -hmm. mean for for, uh, end times, you mean? Yeah. Well, let's see, I think I mentioned the 1914, the 1918, the 1925, uh, when the Old Testament saints were supposed to make their appearance on the earth, and they did mm-hmm. not. Um, there were other times, I believe, in the 40s. Um, in 1968, you know, that's when they started coming out with this article, Why Are You Looking Ahead to 1975? Um, they did that. Uh, and then after 1975, I think they kind of, did this 1984 or hinted at it mm-hmm. um, and then they did um, they did I think uh, they were hinting about uh, 2000 I believe um, they've hinted at some dates without actually coming out with them because they really got in trouble with 1975 yeah I understand that for 1925 they even said the Christian meaning the Jehovah's Witness could be more confident in 1925 than Noah was about the coming flood. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah, they have made some um, outlandish outlandish statements, haven't they? Yeah, and, and even before 1975, there were people who weren't even getting married at the time because they were saying, why should I bother? They weren't going to college. They were saying, why should I bother? This is about to come to an end. Well, you know, they never uh, encouraged people to go to college in, in the first place. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people, um, as, as I recall, were dropping out of school. They weren't even graduating from high school, and they were being commended for um, pioneering, which is a word that means that mm-hmm. they um, you go full-time into ministry, going door-to-door 
and uh, at that time, 100 hours a month, you know, going door to door and mm -hmm. uh, recruiting people into the organization. So they discouraged education. Um, they didn't really discourage marriage. A lot of people were getting married. In fact, uh, we were all getting married young as teenagers. And um, I, because a, a, the rumor was that if Armageddon came and then we would be in this new system, they might not have marriage. So all the young people were really scared that they would never, that they would have to be single for the rest of their lives mm -hmm. and they could be single. So they were getting married like crazy before 1975. Yeah. Now, also, uh, could it be that when a lot of these things were going on with people getting married quickly, could it also be because they, people are very, very merry young in the Watchtower because you know, you want to have all these kids, and these kids can then grow up in the Watchtown. These kids can be going door to door and be good, faithful witnesses. Actually, they didn't encourage you to have kids. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, and well, you know, even early on in the Watchtower, uh, they discouraged people from from having children because hmm. they wanted you to be free to go door to door, so that if you were married and you had a lot of little children. Um, that might keep you from going door to door. Hmm. Now, one other doc I'd like to look at for a little bit as well is they have an interesting view on the resurrection of Jesus, right? Oh, yes. Hmm. <laughs> yes. Um, in the Christian view, you know, Jesus' body actually resurrects. It's that body. Mm -hmm. And in the Watchtower view of resurrection, Jesus' body disintegrates mm -hmm. into some kind of gases and he's kind of recreated into this spirit that appears back and forth. Mm -hmm. And they get that a lot from a misunderstanding of passages like 1 Corinthians 15. Yes. So, for a witness, it's a spiritual resurrection of Jesus and not a bodily resurrection. Right, not a bodily, literal resurrection. So you can't call that a resurrection because resurrection, you know, means like resuscitate, you know, that's where our word resuscitate comes from. Mm -hmm. you, you, the body, you know, comes back to life. And in the Jehovah's Witness doctrine of resurrection, it's not that body. It's um, Jesus's body ceased to exist. Mm -hmm. So it became this spirit that would appear to the disciples mm -hmm. to appear back and forth. Okay, why does this matter so much? Because resurrection is important because Jesus said that he would, he, he, when he said, oh, when I uh, build this temple in th you know, three days, I will raise it up. He destroyed this temple in three days, I will you know raise it up. He's making this, the claim that he is going to get back up in mm -hmm. three days, not that he was going to disintegrate. Mm. No, the that's... claims that Jesus made about himself, about his own death and resurrection, mm -hmm. would be untrue then. Mm -hmm. Now, something we should point out that's really different from Mormons is that you were Jehovah's Witnesses, if you open up any passage in the Bible pretty much, they would be able to say most of the time, yeah, that, that's part of the Bible. I mean, we might dispute passages like 
the, end, the long ending of Mark and such, and definitely don't go to First John five seven supposedly, since they were definitely throw that one out. Right. But, but when you open the Bible, you can go to a passage like John two and say, yeah, we agree with that. It's just the interpretation that differs because but witnesses, for the most part, they do have a very high view of scripture, don't they? They do, but only certain passages. They don't right. really know. I, I would say the average witness knows about 100 to 150 out-of-context verses. Mm -hmm. And so, since they don't read um, the passages in context, they don't really know what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. Now, why do you think the witnesses have this unique stance that they have on the resurrection? I mean, why would they want to avoid a bodily resurrection? That's a good question. Mm -hmm. um, I am not sure why they they uh, they have they avoid a bodily resurrection. Mm -hmm. Everything about their their doctrine is is you know even when they talk about the resurrection of the dead when they have the new system and the paradise earth nobody is actually resurrected everybody is recreated mm -hmm. so there's there's no real resurrection that, that happens. It's all about recreation. Now, one is, I mean, one interesting aspect of that, Edwin, people come to me and ask, what do Jehovah's Witnesses believe? Well, sometimes I'll give a simple humorous answer, okay? Look at what Orthodox Christianity believes. They believe the opposite. <laughs> no. What Pre about their, their doctrine of Salvation, because I've been told this is a good one to get the Jehovah's Witnesses very anxious about. Yeah, um, no Jehovah's Witnesses believe really in salvation. Mm -hmm. They don't talk about it. It's not part of what is discussed in the Watchtower. Um, they they um, have a, a view of salvation that they take from um, Zephaniah two three where it says, you know, in the day of Jehovah's anger, um, probably you'll be saved, you know. It's, and it's just like always, you never know if you've done enough um, mm -hmm. because it's a very works-based organization, very much performance-based. So mm -hmm. if your performance is great, you know, then, you know, yeah, you may, be, you may have, uh, you may make it through Armageddon. They don't even call it salvation. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so since everything is based on your performance, you never know. You never know if you've done enough to be pleasing to this Jehovah God, or what I call Jehovah of the Watchtower, because mm -hmm. to me, they don't really worship, you know, the, the real God. Yeah. You know, I, I call it Jehovah of the Watchtower. Mm -hmm. now, I, we would be remiss if we didn't spend time talking about the main doctrine, even though you said we shouldn't go to it for the conversion purposes, we definitely need to spend some time talking about the Trinity. Let's actually start with the Holy Spirit. It's even improper to say to the Jehovah's Witnesses, who is the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Right, because the Holy Spirit is not the Holy Spirit in the Jehovah's Witnesses uh, doctrine. In the Watchtower, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the active force. Mm -hmm. It's almost, it's just this, this force that Jehovah has to, you know, that, that comes out from his, you know, from his hands, you know, to make things happen. Mm -hmm. It's a force. <laughs> it's almost, it's a supernatural force, and that's all. It's not a person. Mm -hmm. 
So uh, what are the problems with this? Do you mean how how could anyone show something like this as wrong? Well, I would go to scripture and I would go to all the verses that uh, that Jesus uses, especially in John. You know where he talks about the Comforter mm-hmm. and, and how the Comforter is referred to as a person. It's not a force. Mm-hmm. I've also heard that a good passage to go to is Acts 13, where the Holy Spirit says, Set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas. Right, well, the whole, because um, as you go through Scripture, you can see the works of what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit teaches, mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit speaks, mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit does things that only a person can accomplish. Mm-hmm. And especially, you know, where um, in um, in First First John, where it says uh, that you don't need to have any other teacher except for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who will be your teacher. Mm-hmm. So if the if the Holy Spirit is only a force, how can the Holy Spirit be a teacher? Mm-hmm. Now this comes mainly from their denial of the Trinity, and that's because the Trinity is supposedly a wicked pagan doctrine, right? Right, in their view. Yeah, could you expound on that some? Um, well, the the thing that they teach is that um, all pagan religions had trinities of gods, mm-hmm. and so in their in their booklet, you know, should you believe in the Trinity, they will. Um, I wish I had that book in front of me right now, for example, but I don't have it here handy. Um, I think I referred to the, the pictures mm-hmm. they, they put up of, of different uh, uh, pagan deities where, you know, they, these were ugly pagan deities who were mm-hmm. three-headed gods. And they, they will show how the, the Trinity dates back to these, you know, you know pre-Christian uh, deities that were, you know, three-headed gods. And so then they will um, say, okay, back into, you know, Christian times. They blame everything on uh, the Nicene Council and Constantine and uh, not, and I never thought about what the Nicene Council did at that time, that it was um, that it was a, a controversy between, you know, Arian uh, the Arianism and, mm-hmm. and uh, the deity of Christ and then all the Gnosticism that was going around, that they were trying to, you know uh, define, you know, who Christ really is and um, you know his his deity that you know he was you know the eternal uh, son of God, not some created being. Mm-hmm. So um, the Jehovah's Witnesses, of course, gravitate and they teach you know Arianism, and um, that is the that is their their main teaching about Christ that he is the this created being. It's always amusing to me when people talk about the Council of Nicaea because the Council of Nicaea. And Constantine himself gets blamed for every single thing wrong. Yeah, I know. Christian. Even the Scientologists blame yeah. Constantine. <laughs> yeah, and he, even when I'm debating with atheists online, they say, "Well, you know, the, can- the canon of Scripture was determined and edited at the Council of Nicaea." No. No. No, no it wasn't. No. no. <laughs> 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 we, we 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 did have a thread. I remember even once in a Christian Apologetics Alliance talking about this, and 
it pretty much became a joke, and I said, yeah, and after that, everything gets blamed on Constantine. You know whose fault that is? Yep, it's Constantine's fault. Right. Like, anything was, that happened, it's Constantine's uh, fault. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Constantine became the fall, fall guy for everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we, it, it's interesting also that this idea that the Trinity came from paganism, what the uh, Watchtower followers don't really realize is the scholars that they say that got everything from paganism, they would say many of the doctrines that the Watchtower themselves believes, like the virgin birth, which all Christians affirm, like myself, comes straight from the, the paganism. The, that's what these scholars would say. I mean, I don't think it does, but these scholars that say, yeah, the Trinity is pagan, would have said the virgin birth is pagan. They would have said any concept of Jesus being a deity of any sort is pagan. Right, yeah. So, um, the idea of everything, of all this stuff being pagan, you know, when the Watchtower teaches about everything, you know, coming from the church is pagan, what it does to the average witness is it creates this barrier so that, you know, if they think something is pagan, they won't listen. Mm hmm. Yeah. And then it's really some of the scholarship of the 19th century that's so heavily outdated and it's the same stuff that you can sadly find on the internet today with saying Christianity is copied from Mithraism or Christianity is copied from Horus and Osiris or Dionysus or anyone else out there and if anyone's wanting more information on this I did interview Joe Marva here last year on this he's doing his PhD on this topic so I, I definitely encourage you if you're curious about the pagan copycat theory to look at that Do you, do you have anything to say about that? About about the um, pagan copycat stuff? And well, I've seen uh, ex-witnesses uh, who, who now believe that stuff, and uh, I don't know why they're gravitating toward these um, outdated um, outdated theories that were, have all been debunked. Mm-hmm. And honestly, when you look at the Watchtower material, the sources that they use, it usually, they usually are very, very old sources. I mean, these sources might have been decent in their time, perhaps, but if an idea is very true and it's got really good historical support behind it, you're going to find historians later on affirming that idea. And frankly, today, you don't mean Bartram and doesn't even take this idea seriously. Right. I know. I know. Um, also, in in uh, the book, um, Should You Believe in the Trinity, mm-hmm. um, the, the sources that it lists, I actually... Um, at the time, a long time ago, I looked for the sources, and um, one of them was the New Catholic Encyclopedia. And if you read the Watchtower or the publications that references against the Trinity using the New Catholic Encyclopedia, and we all know Roman Catholics do believe in the Trinity. Of course, <laughs> they've got that right. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and so um, the they're referencing the New Catholic Encyclopedia to prove that there is no trinity and they take something totally out of context they take like a half sentence and then they use ellipsis you know to kind of you know make it sound like even the catholics don't really believe in the trinity yet they teach it so i went to the new catholic encyclopedia and i and i looked for for the quotes and i found that they just totally misquoted everything and they took sentences out of context you know, linking them together with uh, ellipsis 
to to make it look like the Catholic Church does not believe in the Trinity. The the witnesses really are in a problematic spot nowadays, I think, with the Internet, because many resources can be very easily looked up. And I, I think witnesses are being given great warnings about looking things up on the Internet, aren't they? Yes, they are. In fact, they're they're told all the time uh, not to not to consult or research on the internet regarding um, religious religious uh, doctrines or that they are only to use the official uh, Watchtower website, which is jw.org. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would even encourage you know Christians to take a look at you know because they have all their stuff online. So if you really want to look at some false <laughs> some blatant false doctrines. Uh, you know, look at their JW.org because there's a, uh, you can actually look at their, uh, watchtowers online. Uh, the, um, they have PDF copies that you can download so that if you have witnesses at your door, um, you can ask them questions about the watchtower uh, and just, you know, print them out and just say, oh, I got it from JW.org. Isn't that your official website? Mm-hmm. And, uh, they, they would have to admit that it's, you know, if it comes from there, that it is officially approved. So um, that that's a, a good place to, you know, look up their, their stuff and see what they're really teaching currently. In fact, I even have that site open right now on my Internet, and I'm thinking, in fact, that if you go and you try and get something from a site like a book or publication, you could probably have Jehovah's Witnesses knocking at your door very soon. So if you're wanting the Witnesses to stop by and see you, this could be a good way to do it. Yeah, in fact, they, they uh, you know, there's a place where you says, you know, contact us, you know, if you want us to come by. So <laughs> you could put down your your name and uh, contact information, so uh, they'll drop by if you want to have a good conversation with them. Mm-hmm. Well, let's uh, consider some things that they say about Jesus as well. As we get towards the final segment of the show, that Jesus, for instance, is the Archangel Michael. Yes. Yeah, they they believe that Jehovah created the first thing he ever created was Michael the Archangel. That was mm-hmm. his first creation, mm-hmm. and then there, then then Michael the Archangel, you know, A.K.A. Jesus, um, created everything else as the agent of Jehovah. Mm-hmm. And this is particularly used in Colossians one, where they refer to Jesus as the firstborn of all creation, and Paul does in that passage, and witness the commands say that Jesus is the firstborn that of the creation like in order of time and such. Right. What's really going on in that passage? He is the originator of creation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because if we look in Genesis, you know, um, we, we see the, the Trinity right off the bat there. Uh, versus, you know, let us create man in our image. I mean, mm-hmm. how can man be created in God's image if Michael the archangel is an angel? So are we created in the image of God or an angel? That mm-hmm. that wouldn't even make sense. And wouldn't that also be a bit problematic with the Hebrews 1 passage? where it says that Jesus is above all the angels. Yes, it, it is uh, it is it is problematic, but they, they do 
will they will tell you that um, that as Michael the Archangel, he is the only. They believe he's the only Archangel, and that he's head of all the angels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also in Hebrews one, they do have a passage in there that it talks about. Oh, you, O Lord, stretched out the heavens. So that's referred to Jesus. But when you look up the Psalm. It's definitely a psalm to Jehovah. Yes, mm. yes, but their their Hebrews uh, one is is kind of messed up. I don't have a if I have a I don't know if you have the New World Translation in front of you, but it's um, it's it's made to look like like um, that Jesus is oh you know lo- much was lower than the angels, but then you know was um, you know. Uh, Elevated, you know, higher, but then remains lower than Jehovah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm. I've got a passage open right here, and I, I I'm just kind of scanning. I'll see if I can find what exactly you're talking about there. If I can't, oh well. It's actually the 2013 revised edition. I didn't know they'd come out with another one recently. Yes, they did. They 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 revised uh, some uh, some verses. Mm-hmm. A lot, a lot of them, uh, a lot of their, um, in fact, even John seventeen three, I think they revised it to what it really should say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do see a passage here where it says, "God is your throne." As far as why God, your God, anointed you. Yeah. So yeah, I that that's one of the passages that they definitely altered in it. Yeah. And what what they what they don't know in this Hebrews passage that you know the way it's written is kind of written rhetorically you know especially on verse thirteen and I'm reading from it in ESV I kind of stay away from the new world and uh, and uh, to which of the angels has he ever said sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet mm-hmm. so if if you if you really look at that critically and say well how could how could Jehovah have ever said that to someone who's an angel, mm-hmm. and if and if Jesus is Michael the archangel, then this verse doesn't make sense mm-hmm. because he didn't say that to an angel. He said that to his son. Mm-hmm. Uh, another passage that I think is very good to use is the Romans ten passage. Yeah. About, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, and you must confess that Jesus is Lord. And then it refers back to Joel two, and the Lord there is no doubt Yahweh. Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think in the New World Translation, who well, whosoever calls on the name of Jehovah shall yeah. be saved. That's how they have it translated. Yeah. But what about passages? One of our favorite ones to use is John seventeen three, right? So yeah, the John you, the only true God. The only true God, I know. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's like, well, let me get that in this. Yeah, if, if you all don't know and you're listening, this is one of the favorite verses that Jehovah's Witnesses really like to use. Right, yeah. They, this is the uh, eternal life mm-hmm. that you know that you are the only true God in Jesus Christ who you have sent. Mm-hmm. So, what, what do you say to that? The John, you know what? I, I don't, um, if I'm speaking to a Jehovah's Witness, mm-hmm. I will read the whole passage to them and then ask them the questions what do you think and you know if they come out with their um their canned answers they'll say well 
let's go back and look at this verse where he says, you know, because a lot of times when Jehovah's Witnesses will read the passage, you know, they will kind of shut out the stuff that um, um, they don't believe. Yeah, and it's called, you know, in psychology it's called cognitive dissonance, so they kind of like yeah. put a brick wall between themselves and, and the truth. But mm-hmm. you have to kind of like gently kind of bring it out and bring it out. And if you can read the whole thing in context with them to show that, you know, the deity of Christ in here, um, and, and this I would recommend after you've gotten to know the person, and just ask them questions and question them through this. And, well, and, and don't make it sound like you're the teacher. Just say, yeah. I'm having such a hard time understanding this. What do you think about this? Um, you know, help me to understand. So if they if they think that you're they're trying to help you understand, but you're asking them thoughtful questions regarding this passage, and you know, keep bringing up the verses that that show the deity of Christ, then you're helping them to think that through. Yeah, one aspect of this that I also like to bring out is. You know, you say there is only one true God, which I agree, and that Jesus Christ is a God, and you can just ask, where is Jesus a true God, or is he a false God? Or is he a false God? That's mm-hmm. right. Because even from um, Isaiah, you know, and they use, and this is where they get their name, Jehovah's Witnesses, Isaiah 4310, yeah. you are my witnesses. But if you continue reading, and in fact... <laughs> Many times in, in Isaiah 41, 42, 43, 44, up to 45, um, he says several times there, is there any other God beside me? No, there is not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, God is in a little g. But then you get to John 1, 1 in the New World Translation, and the word was a God. So that's something you could also, you know, bring up. How is it that Jehovah is saying this to Isaiah, is there any other God beside me? Is there any other rock beside me? But then, why does it say the word was a God? I'm mm. sorry, but that doesn't make any sense to me. Can you please explain? Now, the Trinity is a complex topic, and we've only got to touch on on a few minutes here. But uh, are there any books and such you would recommend for people who are really wanting to understand the Trinity? Um, you know, concerning Jehovah's Witnesses? Yeah, or just concerning the Trinity itself. Oh, wow. Rob Bowman done such really good work <laughs> mm-hmm. on on, uh, on the Trinity. Um, one, one, an older one that he did, you know, probably published, I don't know, in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Why You Should Believe in the Trinity, An Answer to Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh-huh. Um, also, um, Understanding Jehovah's Witnesses, Why They Read the Bible the Way They Do. Uh-huh. Another older book, um, and another book that he wrote called Jehovah's Witnesses, Jesus Christ, and the Gospel of John. All three uh, excellent uh, books on the Trinity. And then Rob Bowman also did one recently. It's not that old. It's, I think he wrote it with Kenneth Boa. Uh, and it's called, <laughs> now, it's, now it's slipped my mind, uh, On the Deity of Christ. Are you thinking about putting Jesus in his place? Yeah, putting Jesus in his place. Yeah, that was that was written with Ed Komazuski. I've got it right here. Oh, okay. I thought it was Ken Boa. Sorry. And I don't have that book in front of me right now. Yeah, and actually Rob Bowman was one of the first interviews we did on the show back in, I believe, March of 2013. So Ian was invited to go back and check out archives of the website and listen to that show. Yeah. 
And then, um, you know, David Reed also, you know, had some good books. Uh, mm. Jehovah's Witnesses Answered Verse by Verse, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is a good book. Um, there, there's really, there's a lot of good books. There's one that I highly recommend by um, by Wilbur Lingle. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a, a ministry called Love to Share. And uh, the book is called Approaching Jehovah's Witnesses of Love. And he g- really gives a really good methodology for uh, speaking effectively to Jehovah's Witnesses. And I think that, you know, before, you know, you get, of course, before you get all um, equipped, you know, learning the Jehovah's Witnesses false doctrines, and reading this book, uh, I think, would really equip a person to uh, know the methodology of speaking to a Jehovah's Witness in uh, the correct way so that you don't scare them off. Yeah, Cynthia, we've been here for nearly two hours. It's been a very fascinating interview here, and I hope people have learned a lot, especially from your personal experience with witnesses. Do you have a blog or website or any way people can get in touch with you if they want to find out more? Yeah, um, I, I do have a website. It's called um, um, exjehovahswitnesseslosangeles.org. Mm-hmm. And um, from there, you can contact me. There's a contact form on there. Um, it also has uh, links to um, my meetup group because I have a um, I have a uh, support group that I, I head up and uh, we meet we meet month, once a month for ex Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh-huh. So if there's any ex Jehovah's Witnesses out there who who need help in the Los Angeles area, I do have a monthly support group. Yeah, excellent. I'm looking at. Right now, yeah, it's xjwslosangeles.org. So if you're looking up, it, it is the JWs is abbreviated there. Yes, uh, it is. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Now, do you have uh, any final messages you'd like to leave today for the Deeper Waters audience? Um, the the only thing I would like to say out there to Christians is that when you get Jehovah's Witnesses at your door, um, you're going to have to learn to love them. Sometimes they seem annoying, but the first thing you want to think about is that these people are lost sheep. Some of these people came out of churches previously and they've been deceived and they've been converted over to Jehovah's Witnesses. So you you have to look at them with love and have to look at them with tenderness and uh, make sure that whatever you do and whatever you say to them, you say it with love. Don't try to win. If you try to win the battle, you're going to lose the war. Well, Cynthia, I'd like to thank you for coming on. Hopefully we'll see you back here again sometime. And thank you so much. I appreciated it. And I'd like to remind everyone that next week we're going to have Tyler Villa coming on. We're going to be talking about his looking at David McAfee. So, yeah, we're going to be talking about Internet atheism next week. Always an enjoyable topic to talk about. For now, I am Nick Peters, and I am signing off until next week.